Well, good morning and welcome everyone. Nice to see you all again and thanks for having me, Grant. Uh, my name is Steve Johnston, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, I want to particularly extend a warm welcome to those of you who are perhaps here for the first time. Uh, maybe you came with a friend, maybe you just popped in on your own, but however you got here, you are very, very welcome. Uh, I know sometimes when you come to a church of this nature for the first time, it can seem a little different, maybe a little awkward, but I hope that you at least feel comfortable enough, you know, amongst us that you can relax and that you can uh, engage with what I have to say, and I I beg you to to hear me patiently this morning. Um, We are busy doing a seven-week series uh, looking at people who had a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ while he was on the earth. And uh, this morning we're going to turn back to the book of John, and we're going to uh, go to John chapter 9. So if you do have a Bible, uh, you can go there with me. Uh, John chapter 9. And we're going to read the inspiring story of a man who had been born blind, and then he saw the light of the world. So let's begin at the beginning of... uh, John chapter 9. In fact, what I'd like us to do is just read the last verse of John chapter 8, because I want to get this in context. Uh, We see that in the closing verses of that previous chapter, uh, Jesus was escaping from the Jews uh, who were seeking to stone him. Uh, He'd had an altercation with them in which he had taken the name of God that God used when he spoke to Moses in the Old Testament, I am And uh, Jesus had taken that name and applied it to himself, uh, effectively claiming that he was God. He said, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And when he said that, the the Jews had picked up stones, verse 59 tells us, uh, in order to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself, uh, because his time had not yet come, and he went out of the temple. And as he passed by, verse 1 of the next chapter he saw a blind man from birth. We must remember that uh, in the original you know, texts of the Bible, there are no chapters and verses. It's just a continuous narrative. And so it seems from the reading, and most of the commentators are agreed, that this happened at the, uh, on the same day. Jesus is escaping from the Pharisees, and he, as he passes by, making his escape, um, he stops and he has compassion on a blind man. Now, as you begin to make your honest search of the Bible, to begin to reckon honestly with who this Jesus Christ is, this historical figure who lived 2,000 years ago, and you go to the original source documents that tell us about his life, which are found in the Bible, one of the things that you're going to find repeatedly over and over again is that Jesus is the same unselfish person person who always had time and always had love for people. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's never selfish. Uh, here he's escaping for his life, and yet he has time to stop and have compassion on a blind man. Uh, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And I, I think that in the same way, in our own lives, Uh, We should constantly be seeking to do all the good that we can to people when we can. Uh, You know, even while we are passing by on some pressing matter, we're always so busy that we are called to stop and have compassion when we can. Uh, I find that my own heart condemns me in this. 
you know, so busy, so selfish to stop and have compassion on people. But not so with, with Jesus. Uh, verses 2 and 3, John chapter 9. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples are with Jesus. They see him looking at this blind man with compassion. So they ask him, uh, you know, who sinned? Their presumption was that someone must have sinned in order for this to have happened. Uh, Either his parents must have done something terribly sinful to deserve to have a child born blind. Or perhaps this man himself had had done something sinful before he was even born that caused this blindness. Uh, You know, it's interesting, the Pharisees believed uh, parts of them in reincarnation. And uh, perhaps the disciples had been influenced somewhat by that sort of teaching in Israel, that era. And uh, perhaps they had thought that maybe this man had done something in a previous life, you know, bad karma that had caused him to be born blind. But Jesus corrects them. And he says that this man was born blind For the express reason, the purpose, that the works of God might be displayed in his life. So we must never presume, when we see a hardship in life, we must never presume that that is God's punishment for sin. Uh, That somehow, you know, suffering and sickness are a, a sign of God's anger towards you or to someone that you see suffering. You know... Um, God's plans are often secret and we must allow for mysteries in God. So, you know, there are mysteries which you will never understand about what we go through in life. Having said that, it is true that all uh, sickness and suffering and pain exist in the world because of sin. That is true. That when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and Uh, disobeyed God, fell into rebellion, the Bible says that the whole universe fell with them. The words the Bible uses in in the book of Romans says, the entire uh, creation was subject to futility from that point onwards. That's why there is sickness. That's why there are natural calamities. And that's why there is hardship and suffering and pain. And that's why there is even cruelty in the animal world. All these things are a mark Of the fallenness of the entire creation. But when you see someone suffering individually or you suffer. It is unbiblical to assume that that person is being punished for their particular sins or the sins of their parents. And there are three reasons I want to share with you this morning why that is a poor assumption. Firstly, it is extremely hypocritical. When you see someone suffering. It is hypocritical for us to say that person is being punished for sin. Because what you're saying tacitly about yourself is that I haven't sinned like that person. That's why I'm not suffering like they are. But which of us, when we look into our hearts, can honestly say that we are not equally as guilty before our holy God? So it's extremely arrogant 
to point at someone else and say you're suffering because of sin. Like Job's friends did. Secondly, it presumes, now listen carefully, that those who are not suffering are living godly lives. That's the presumption. That if you see someone who has a great life, that that's somehow proof or a mark that God is pleased with them and that God is rewarding them with a good life. And nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says that the ungodly often live their lives in pleasure. They often enjoy the goodness of God in their lives. And yet without being grateful. And God stays His hand of judgment upon them. So that when they die in their sins, He will then visit an infinite, uh, infinitely more dreadful torment upon them in hell. You know, the Bible says that they are only uh, a gathering up uh, wrath for the day of judgment. When they live without any gratitude for the goodness that God is giving them. The Bible says, in fact, that they are heaping up for themselves wrath. And that they are presuming on the riches of God's kindness. Not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to draw them to repentance. So when you see someone who has a great life, that is not necessarily a mark that God is pleased with them. It's only, in fact, a mark that God is merciful. That he is kind and that he longs for them to repent and come to him. Third problem with assuming that suffering is punishment for sin. It underestimates the role that suffering plays in how God deals with his children. This is a hard truth for us as Christians to to grasp and to accept. But the, the truth of the matter is the Bible says that God uses suffering and hardship to discipline and train his children. That God develops character in us through hardship. He teaches us patience and He increases our faith through the hardships of life. Just take Job as your example. The Bible says that Job was a righteous man in his generation and he resisted evil. And yet, was there ever a man who suffered like Job? And why did God do that? To prove the genuineness of Job's faith. And so it's just too simplistic to equate hardship with punishment for sin. God's ways are high above our ways. And we don't understand all the hardships that come. Many of you are young, and I can tell you now, you are going to have hardship in life. Some of you have already had terrible hardship. But we are called to endure hardship, and we are called... To trust that everything God God does is for our good. And it's for His glory. And that at the end of the day, no one will accuse God of injustice. We're called to faith. And so it was with this blind man. that Jesus said that this man's life was a canvas. Which was going to display the glory of God to the world. Verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, night is coming. He was predicting his own death. The coming time when all of this glorious power would go with him to the grave. 
Night is coming. The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were seeking to destroy Jesus. They were persecuting him. He could no longer walk openly in Jerusalem and Judea. It was only a matter of time now before he had to go to the cross and die for the sins of his people. Night was coming. And my friend, do you know this morning that the dark night of death is coming for you too? Have you reckoned with that? Have you squared with that truth? You are going to die. Night is coming. Jesus said, while we have the light, we must work the works of God. We must do all the good that we can do while we have the light. Because darkness is coming. The dark night of death is coming when we will no longer be able to work. And ask any old man or any old woman, go and speak to your grandparents, and they will tell you this truth. It comes quicker than you think. Without being foolish, we must seize every moment, every opportunity that we have to witness for Christ and to stand for Him. We must work the works of Him who sends us while it is light. Night is coming. And and my Christian brother and sister can ask you this morning, Are you giving everything you have for Jesus Christ? You only have one life. And it goes that fast. I promise you. Only have one life. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? You guys are studying. You're at university. Many of you. You've got plans. You've got a career outlook. You've got all these dreams. But I ask you this morning, what are you going to do with your life? Because can I give you some advice? Spend it for Jesus Christ. There are people in this room, I believe, that if you were sincerely to consecrate yourself to the Lord, if you were to humbly fast and pray and seek His will for your life, and if you were to say to Him, God, I will give everything for you. I I consecrate myself entirely to you. No longer my will will be done. I want your will to be done. I will give everything up for you. I I am convinced there are people in this room. He would put his finger on you and he would say, I've called you into the ministry. He would call people in this room into the ministry if you are willing to lay down your own desires, your own selfish motives and dreams and give it all for him. Not all of you, but there are people in this room. Jesus said, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into his harvest. I have prayed, and I will tell you this openly. I have prayed that during this seven-week series of of sermons on the gospel, that God will speak to some of you in these meetings. And he will, put, he will stop you in your tracks from where you are heading your life. And he will say to you, I've called you into the ministry. Will you spend your life preaching this gospel? But can I tell you this? If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you give your life for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel, you'll find it. Night is coming. Will you work the works of him who sends you while you have the light? Verses 6 and 7. 
Having said these things, he spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus made mud from his spit, put it on this man's eyes. You say, that's disgusting. So at least it's a bit embarrassing for someone to do that. Well, not when Jesus does it. This is the same Jesus who created the universe. He, he threw the stars into the sky. This is the same Jesus who made human beings in his own image. And he formed them from the dust of the earth. And he breathed his life into them. Just as he formed the mud that day and he put it on that man's eyes. Jesus knit you together in your mother's womb. We are entirely His. Nothing that He does to you is for your harm. No matter how lowly or humbling it is, it is for your good. Why? Because He loves you. And He knows what is best for you. So you can, you can gladly give me the spit of my Savior. Take it gladly. I'll take his spit, I'll take his sweat, I'll take his blood. Over all the riches that this world offers and over all the pride and, and, and uh, credit that people can give you and popularity. But do you understand what I'm saying to you? I pity those people in life who are embarrassed to be associated with Jesus Christ. People who find it an embarrassment to call themselves a Christian or to stand for the Lord. People who think that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. And there are many. But the blind man who has been touched by Jesus. He, he, he just says, you know what, you can keep your, your self-sufficiency. You can keep your dignified life. You can keep all your reputation. None of that matters to me anymore. Because he touched me. And I was blind and now I can see. And that's the testimony of many people in this room. That we were blind. And then he touched us. And now we can see. We no longer walk in darkness. But we have the light of life. Do you have the light of life? Why didn't Jesus simply heal this man? He could have just spoken a word and healed him. He could have laid his hands and healed him. He did it to many others. He could have done it. Why this whole ritual? Putting mud on his eyes and sending him off to the pool of Siloam and saying wash and then he washed. Why this whole thing? Well, Jesus himself gives us the answer. He said that this whole healing was designed to display the works of God. And you know what? For 2,000 years, this man's blindness... And how he was healed has demonstrated the works of God to millions upon millions upon millions of people for the last 2,000 years as this story has been told and as this gospel has been preached. Now listen to me carefully. Through this healing, through this story of this man's healing and salvation, Jesus is teaching us a lesson about our own spiritual state we're in spiritual darkness and our own need for forgiveness and how to be saved. 
It's a lesson. Though this man was a stranger to Jesus, he didn't know Jesus. Yet when Jesus made him a promise, because implicit in the command, go and wash, there's a promise in there. It says, if you will go and wash, if you do what I say, you will see. And this man believed. He believed. Though he knew very little about Jesus, he believed the promise. How do we know that he believed the promise? Because he obeyed. If he hadn't have believed, he wouldn't have gone and washed. But he did believe. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now I want to ask you something this morning. Though you may know very little about Jesus. Do you believe the promise of Jesus in the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. Died as a sacrifice for your sins. That he took God's wrath, God's penalty for your sinful life. He took it upon himself when he died. So that you could be set free. Do you believe that? And do you believe that after he died, he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and that he is Lord of all? Do you believe that? And do you believe that everyone who turns away from their sin and puts their faith entirely in Jesus, and their hope entirely in him and what he did for them on the cross, that if you will do that, you will be forgiven of everything you've ever done, and you will be given eternal life as a free gift? Do you believe that? Well, if you believe it, let me tell you what would have happened already. You would have repented of your sin. And you would have come to Him. You would have expressed your faith and you would have made Him your master. In other words, you would become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say that? Because faith is proven by obedience. That's why. Learn that from the blind man this morning. Don't say you believe in Jesus, but you live like everybody else on this campus. Don't be a hypocrite. You will obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Maybe your eyes are being opened here today. That's what God does. He literally makes people alive through the preaching of the gospel. Maybe that's happening to you this morning. Come to him. And he won't cast you out. He'll welcome you as a friend. Forgive you. Everything you've ever done. He offers it to you. Forgiveness. Verses 18. uh, 8 to 16, sorry. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, he is like him. He kept on saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. 
Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Untrue. He was working the works of God. That was always legal on the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So these people are astonished. They, They literally cannot contain what has happened to this man. And yet, when they asked him to explain, how is it that your eyes are opened? How is it that you now see? All he could say to them was, the man named Jesus made mud. He put it on my eyes. I washed and now I see. You know, the simplicity of the man's testimony is striking. Fifteen years ago, my girlfriend and I, the girlfriend who is now my wife, we were in a church service, much like this. And that night, a man was preaching the gospel and we committed ourselves to Christ. That night, we got born again. And for 15 years, our life has demonstrated a remarkable change. And yet, our families, neither of whom are Christians, they cannot accept the simplicity of our testimony. They have seen that we're happily married for 15 years. That's an unusual thing in both of our families. Happily married. They see us with... Uh, incredibly happy, wholesome, godly children. They see a home life that is healthy and a beautiful witness. They see maturity of character in us that we never had before. They saw drunkenness disappear overnight when we came to Jesus Christ. And they have seen for 15 years, miracle after miracle after miracle of provision in our lives. And yet, they will not accept the simplicity of the testimony. They just can't believe that it's as simple as we say it is. That 15 years ago, we came to understand and believe the message of the gospel. Our eyes were opened. We saw Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. We came to Him. He put His Spirit in us. And we've never been the same again. But it's, it's too simple. They try to explain it away. This whole change that has happened to us. They try to explain it as a coping mechanism. Because of the hardships of our childhood or something. They, they, they say, you know, we got religious. And this is all some kind of psychological phenomenon. This big change that's happened to us. Instead of just accepting the simple testimony that Jesus Christ still encounters people today. Because he's alive. So the blind man gave them his simple testimony. He says, he put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. But they wouldn't receive it. Verse 18 to 23. The Jews did not believe that he had been uh, blind and had received his sight. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents, the Bible says, said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, the promised Jewish Messiah, the Savior of God's people, that if anybody confessed that that's who Jesus was, 
he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now we read that little phrase there. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. You say, how can it be that people, when presented with evidence so clear that a miracle has been done, how is it that they will not receive it? Now mark this well. The heart of every human being born into this world, including your heart and my heart, is so bent towards evil and rebellion that we will literally suppress the truth that stares us in the face. That's what we are. By nature, we are rebellious. Every atheist does this when he looks into the night sky. He suppresses the truth of God in unrighteousness. Our hearts rebel against the truth. That is what sin has done to mankind. It has absolutely and totally corrupted him. That's why it is actually impossible to become a Christian. Until God visits you in his grace and opens your eyes to see the truth. And maybe that's happening to you today as you hear the preaching of the gospel And I certainly do pray that it is. So when these Pharisees saw that they weren't getting anywhere now. By attacking this man. By repeatedly questioning him. And by, you know, they weren't getting anywhere discrediting Jesus. In fact, the more they questioned the man about this. The more publicly this this miracle is now broadcast. When they saw that, they decided to go and ask the man's parents. They were cowards. Uh, They saw quite clearly what God had done. They should have been grateful to to, uh, Jesus for what they'd done to their son. And yet they were too uh, too scared about what people would think about them. They were scared of being thrown out of the synagogue. And so they just keep their distance. And they bounce the question back to their son. Verse 24 to 29. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God, man. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you don't listen to me. Why? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know, that this man has, uh, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. So this man had been born blind, but he was no idiot. He was no fool, and he was no coward. Often the people who've had the worst hardships in life are the bravest people in life. And he soon cuts to the heart of the matter. He says to the Pharisees, why, do you also want to become his disciples? Why are you asking me these things? I've told you already. See, the man is beginning to understand. The Pharisees are not asking me all these questions because they want to follow Jesus. They don't want to know the truth. They're only asking these questions because they want to find some loophole, some weakness in the story so that they can discredit Jesus. They're only interested in themselves. They're not interested in the truth. That describes so many people in this life. 
So they, they kept asking him this question, and, and it angered him. It angered this, this, this man because, you know, couldn't they just be happy for him? He'd been blind all his life, and this man had just healed him. Couldn't they just be happy, just for 10 minutes? The hardness of their hearts. But people refuse to reckon honestly with Jesus. Still today, people will not face the truth of this matter and reckon with it honestly. Please don't let that be you. And so the blind man put his finger right on the issue by asking his own question. He's been asked lots of questions. Now I've got a question for you. You also want to become his disciples. And he cuts to the very heart of the matter. He reveals their hypocrisy. Verse 34, uh, 30 to 34. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. You know, this, this poor blind man, he, he was infuriated by these Pharisees. By the hardness of their hearts and by their disrespect of this Jesus who had healed him. And earlier we saw that this man gladly was answering their questions. He gladly said it was Jesus that healed me. Then when he saw the hardness of their heart, he starts suspecting something's up. He's got a question for, for them himself. Now he goes all the way and his boldness grows to the extreme. And he actually begins preaching to them. Love this guy. He says, wow, this is an amazing thing. I want to ask you this morning, will you, like this poor blind man, will you make your stand for Jesus Christ? Or will you be ashamed of him? Like this man's parents. So he confronts the Pharisees, he, he presses the point home to them, and they eventually cast him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Having found him, I want to make you a promise here today, if you stand for Jesus, he'll come and find you and he'll stand for you. You don't need anything more than that, my friend. That's the creator of the universe we're talking about. He'll stand for you. He comes to this man, he finds him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? So the very first words from the mouth of Jesus to him, now are a question about his faith. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asked him, do you believe in the promised Jewish Messiah who would be the Savior of God's people? Do you believe in him? And I must ask you the same question this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners? Jesus says to him, um, Do you believe? Verses 36 and 37. And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. 
So this man is now, he's away from the crowds. He, it's been a whirlwind. The last couple of hours he's been healed. Of, uh, he can now see. He's never experienced that in his life before. And in the same breath, the Pharisees are hating him. They're just excommunicating him. They've cast him out of the fellowship of Israel. And he's now found alone. He's still confused. He doesn't know what's happened to him. And Jesus goes and finds him. And now that he's, 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 he's got a, a moment of respite, of rest, where he's not just fighting this battle against these Pharisees who are attacking him and attacking him, he's got a moment now where he's with the man that healed him. And he, and he lets his God down. He's been defending Jesus all this time. He lets his God down. He says, sir, I don't know who the Son of Man is. I don't know who the Messiah is. I don't know, but I trust you. I trust you. You healed me. You opened my eyes. I'll do whatever you say. I'll do whatever you say. You, you just show him to me and I'll believe in him. And Jesus said, it's me. I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man. I am your Savior. Now I want you to notice this man's response. So verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He calls him Lord. His spiritual eyes are opened. And he sees that this Jesus is actually not just a prophet. He is the son of God. He's the Messiah. And the very first word out of his mouth is he calls him Lord. And the second thing he does is he worships him. Have your eyes been opened by the preaching of the gospel? Maybe even this morning. Have your eyes been opened? Can you, together with this poor blind man, can you say, Lord, I believe. And will you worship him with us? Jesus said that this man's healing would display the works of God. And that has happened here again this morning. And on the last day, the day of judgment... This man born blind, he will rise up in the judgment and he will condemn all those who heard his story. And yet, like the Pharisees, would not believe. Don't let that be you this morning, my friend. Come and believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen.